Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. for that, for the wonderful storytelling, as well as the the great visuals there. Uh, We're going to be focusing in at the tail end of that story, that image of the bow in the clouds for today. So I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 9. The the story, or this section of the story, begins in chapter 8, but we're actually going to pick up at verse 7. We're reading 7 to 17. Uh, verses 7 to 17 in chapter 9, and we're continuing in our series, What Sort of Story Is This?, where we look at some of the stories in Genesis 1 to 11, and we look at what do these stories mean? What did they mean to the first hearers? But also, what do they mean for us today? What do they teach us about who God is and who we are? Before we turn to God's word, let's uh, turn to God in prayer. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words of Scripture You guide the words of the message, and you transform us. Triune God, we thank you for your word to us. May it deepen our faith, comfort us, and challenge us, so that we may grow in our love for you and for each other. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Genesis 9. Verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Greatly incre- increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, as it is for every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring my clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those of you curious to what translation that was, we were in the ESV, the English Standard Version. When I was younger, uh, one of my favorite toys uh, looked a little bit like this. Um, I could imagine 
myself as someone with a, a real bow and arrow, uh, but what I really looked like uh, was just was one of those yellow ones with the red thing at the end to, to suction. Uh, it, was never, it never really went as far as I wanted, but it was still great for playing. Um, and what I was doing when I did that was, was participating in something that had been around for thousands of years. Uh, the bow and arrow is a very ancient weapon. Uh, if you wanted to um, hit a, a target a long distance further than something that you could throw at, you kind of had two options. You either had the, the slingshot or, or the bow and arrow. And back in the day, like a well-constructed bow could shoot at least 200 meters. Uh, if you used a, a double convex bow or whatever it's called, you could actually bring more tension and those could shoot about half a mile. So you could do a pretty reasonable distance, much further than anyone could throw. And because of that, the bow became one of the most indispensable items in, in warfare. You would need to have the bow and arrow. It was something that was feared. Uh, it comes up in scripture several times, notably in 1 Samuel 31. It's the archers who surround King Saul. In 2 Kings verse 22, Ahab is wounded by an arrow from, from afar, so it would have been one of those long-range bows. In 2 Chronicles 35, we also have King Josiah hit by a long-range shot. And it comes up in other places, too. It's not just affecting the, the narrative of Israel. It's also happening in poetry. So in Job or in the Psalms, uh, a particularly famous psalm during uh, the pandemic has been Psalm 91, and it contains this image of, it says, "'You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday.'" Uh, the arrow here, the arrow that flies by day is surrounded by these other dangers, these other invisible things that when you feel safe, uh, that kind of stock up around you, stalking in the darkness, the plague that destroys at midday is compared with the arrow that flies by day. I mention all this about bows and arrows because this is important context for the story. Uh, it's only recently that, that the bow and arrow has been eclipsed by other more modern weapons, uh, but this would have been a, a standard image for most people throughout human history, the bow being an instrument of war. And this passage talks about the bow, although the bow isn't like this, it's turned on its side and it is placed amongst the clouds. So I chose the um, ESV version or translation of the Bible because it preserves something that is there in the Hebrew. Uh, if you read in the, the NIV or some of the other modern translations, they, they say rainbow, um, which is definitely what the text is pointing towards, but it's not necessarily the precise word that's used. The word that's used there is actually the word that would be used for a bow, uh, for a, a weapon in war. So we choose, chose the ESV that says, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. This is an important detail 
because God sets his weapon of war hung up in the clouds for signaling a time of peace and a time of rest. And significantly, this happens directly after the judgment of God that is given. This was the destruction of creation. The ancient world would have been familiar with the image of the bow in the clouds, but turned the other way. They would have seen the arrows being shot down in judgment from the other gods. The flood and the storm in the midst of the flood could be perceived a little bit like a bow facing down in the clouds. Having a weapon hung up here, again, would be a sign of peace. The war is over and creation can rest secure. The God that makes a covenant here is a God that will remember his promise to all of creation. The fearsome warrior who has supreme authority over creation will not bring about destruction. This promise in itself is a note of comfort and tells us what sort of God that we're dealing with. This is a God whose love for creation extends beyond creation's ability to follow perfectly in his rule. God makes this covenant with creation assuming and knowing that creation would turn against him. One theologian comments that this gives us a glimpse into God's willingness to humble himself. God is willing to renew the original blessing made with evildoers. God renews the very blessing in this passage that he gives in Genesis chapter 1. So if we think back to Genesis 1, we get that command of be fruitful and multiply. Uh, This is given to creation as a whole, but also uh, to humanity. uh, And it's one of the central things, that they were to fill the earth. Well, this line is repeated twice in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, and then again in verse 7 where we started. God gives that same command to those that are going to end up going at at war with him and, and moving against God's commands, he's still willing to bless these people. So we look at the story and we think, what sort of story is this? This is a story about a God who persists with his creation. He stays with them. He continues to bless creation despite the fact that they will turn from him. And, and we know that despite The fact that none of us can be completely good, God sustains us. For us, it's not a matter of of being good enough. It's not like we're not trying to get to be like the top 10% or trying to be at the top 1% and then God will save us. We are all in a space deserving of God's judgment. And yet here we have a promise of God putting away his bow of judgment not bringing it on creation as creation deserves. And as Christians, we recall that this is our God. We have a God who is persistent with us, a God who does not abandon us on our first mistake or second mistake. Here, we have God saying, regardless of how bad it gets, 
I will stick with you through it all. I will eventually bring my rescue. And this fits into our understanding of our world today. Uh, This fits into our understanding of who we are. There is nothing that you could do to prevent this God from sustaining his love for you. Let's continue then looking at the image of the bow in the clouds and focusing this time on its direction. Uh, First of all, as we've already noted, it's not pointing down towards the earth. It's not not the image that we saw earlier of that, that, that lightning going down. It's not something, a bow this way would kind of remind us of the flood. Instead, we have this. The arrow, the bow is pointed up. And this is something that we picked up in our children's message today. Uh, At the end, it notes that the bow is pointed in a way that the arrow is directed towards the very heart of heaven. In Genesis 9, we get a foretaste of the cost of the covenant that God makes with his people. We get a glimpse into the plan of redemption that God has in the image of the bow. It's it's positioned in such a way that when humanity continues to rebel and be at war against God, that they do not pay the price. But God's bow is pointed up. And the result is that somehow God will take that sin upon himself. That somehow, God will deal with the consequences of the sin of creation. And and that somehow, we know in Jesus and through the cross. Looking at the story through the lens of the cross helps us to see a little bit more clearly and perhaps a little bit more differently than we've seen this story before. In Jesus' death, we have the arrow that pierces the heart of heaven. Because of Jesus, the arrows of God's judgment do not land on us, but God takes that judgment upon himself. Our contemporary testimony, our world belongs to God, talks about the cross and talks about the the guilt that is relieved from us through it. So I want to read this with you, and I invite you to follow along in the sections that are in bold. So standing in our place, Jesus suffered during the years on earth, especially the tortures of the cross. He carried God's judgment on our sin. His sacrifice removed our guilt. God raised him from the dead. He walked out of the grave, conqueror of sin and death, Lord of life. We are set right with God, given new life, and called to walk with him in freedom from sin's dominion. I'll put that up um, in its full, as I'll be turning back to that. The cross is about setting things right. We are set right with God through it. 
The, the consequences of the sin have been dealt with. He carried God's judgment on our sin, and his sacrifice removes our guilt. It's, it's in the work of God here. It's because of what God has done that, that we can live into that vision of being new creation. And it says again here at the bottom that we are called to walk with him in freedom from sin's dominion. There's, there's a sense in which this gives us a true freedom that we can live in. Our motivation for doing good or bringing God's praise is not tied to trying to get on God's good side. It's, it's not us getting the main thing out of it. And, and this is a hard thing for us to grasp or get our minds around because we're so used to an economic version of a relationship where I, I do something for you and you do something for me. The idea is that, that we do the same thing when we turn to our relationship with God. That we get the, the salvation from God because it's in, in exchange for, for some sort of good that we have done. Um, in, in doing so, we are showing that we're often actually quite reluctant in accepting grace, in trying to force God into making an exchange. I'll be good if you then reward me with salvation. We're trying to change the, the direction of the arrow ourselves, not recognizing that, that covenant promise that God has made with us. Uh, so to get this idea in, uh, perhaps a story is helpful. Uh, I came across this story. Um, it's originally a Charles Spurgeon story from the 1800s, so it's not a new one, uh, and I found it in a Tim Keller sermon. Uh, but I think it preserves some of the meaning here. Uh, so basically, the story goes that there was once a gardener, and this gardener had a one-acre plot and had a bunch of carrots growing it, and one day he picked a carrot, and it was like the most magnificent thing he had ever seen. It was the best carrot. Like, it was the perfect one. They didn't have pictures back then, but I'm sure if they had... He wanted to bring it to like a, a painter or something to do a still-life image of it. Uh, there was no painters around, so he went and brought it before the king. That was the, the best thing that this person could think of. And what the, the person said, this farmer before the king, he said, oh Lord, this is the biggest, most beautiful carrot I have ever grown or will ever grow, and I want to give it to you as a token of my love. And the king said, thank you, and was so pleased with this gesture that he said, well, you have one acre of land, I want you to have a second acre as a, a token of my appreciation. And there was a nobleman that was also there, and he, he kind of overheard what was going on and was thinking, okay, I feel like I could really benefit from knowing that the king is like this. So he comes to the king the next day with his best horse, and he says, you know I raise horses, O king, and Lord, I want you to have this horse because it's the greatest horse I have ever brought up and I want you to have it as a token of my esteem and my love. And the king, seeing what was happening, said thank you and walked away with the horse. When they asked afterwards why they were treated differently, the king responded that the farmer was giving 
the object to him, where, or the, the, the king responded, the, the farmer was giving it to me, whereas the nobleman was giving for himself. The nobleman wasn't really giving, presenting the king with something. It was more presenting something to get something in exchange, to get something back for it. Uh, the story was told to show a bit of a difference in the motivations. The nobleman's motivation, while the action was very similar, was a very different thing. He was simply doing it to bolster his own name, to get the gratitude for the gift, to get something out of it. And sometimes in our service for God, we can do the same thing. Our service towards God we can think if we act well, we can get something out of this. We easily forget that the gift is already given, that we're invited to actually respond out of freedom for what God has done for us. We don't need to, to pay for the arrow that, that that has already been taken care of through Jesus. Now, I want to finish with another story and then it goes back to the image of the bow. So we, we have this image that we're centering on of the bow in the clouds as it's repeated several times in our passage. Um, but it's important to note that while it represents this bow and this weapon of war, uh, the, one, the thing that we actually see is a little bit more colorful than that. That's my attempt at a rainbow. I had, to, I had to use the acronym of the Roy G. Biv uh, to get back to that. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, and my lines are not as straight as I would like them to be. Uh, but the idea here is a beautiful and it is a colorful thing. The beauty of the rainbow reminds us of the beauty of God's covenant. Looking up at the rainbow, we remember not only God's covenant with Noah, but the radiance of God's salvation that is worked out. The story that I'll finish with then is that of a, a four-year-old who is walking with his mother and they happen across a rainbow and, and the child in its delight says, Mommy, can we take that home and, and put it in our house? Which is a great question. It's, it's out of the box thinking, grabbing the rainbow and, and putting it in the house. Uh, maybe an adult wouldn't think of doing that, um, but the, the child's question kind of spurs a bit of a logic that the house is for beautiful things and that's a beautiful thing, so it should go in there. So the, the mom who heard this thought, well, I'm going to write a poem about this. This is a great idea. And writes a poem about a rainbow that gets into the house and it bounces off all the walls. It emanates from the windows and the doors and it comes out the chimney. The house is transformed and could not contain the glory of the rainbow and all of its colors. For us, what would it mean to have the grace of God's goodness shed its light into our homes and into our lives? The picture is not about us creating rainbows, but the grace and light pervading into our lives and affecting our homes. The picture of this is not that, uh, one that is bursting and overflowing. It's one that can be seen from a distance of, of the harmony that, that this brings 
to us. It's not a, a false performative harmony, but one that leads us to live out of gratitude for what God has already done. So as you go into your weeks, I want you to remember the bow and that the bow is pointed up. That we walk in this beautiful freedom because of what God has done. The judgment for sin that justice demands is taken care of in Jesus. And may this propel you into being more fully alive persons in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the promise you made to all of creation. I thank you for the cross that you took our sin so that we could enjoy your presence. May we live in ways that are free from performance and the need to prove ourselves, where we learn to live out of gratitude before you. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.